What's up, brother, man? Welcome to another podcast. How you doing, Puma? I'm doing good, man. You know, just rocking out to some uh, the intro music. Saw the lovely new graphic. You know, again, it's the dawn of a new era around here. But, you know, we had a you know good championship weekend. One game that I did not expect to go the way that it went. And the other game, it looked kind of straight out of the WWE at one point. But, Jay, we have some breaking news before we even start recording. A couple of head Absolutely. coaching vacancies got filled absolutely absolutely so right before we came on to do the podcast tonight um sean payton has been confirmed to the Denver broncos um, and then D'Amico ryan has been confirmed as the head coach of the houston texans so it looks like they threw the bag at sean payton to somehow try to fix russell wilson right <laughs> that's basically what the, the the gist of this is right how much money did the walmart family have to give to sean payton to walk down the road of trying to fix uh, Russell Wilson. Right. And it's, you know, it's kind of interesting because I honestly thought, and we were talking about this last week on the pod, uh, that the, you know, Sean Payton sweepstakes might be over and maybe he was going back to TV because the market seemed to have like really dried up on him. And honestly, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago as well, too, of how I did not think the Broncos were completely out on Jim Harbaugh. And it it sounds like by all reports that they did a a last-ditch effort. They flew up to, I believe uh, he has residency in Ann Arbor or pretty close to Ann Arbor up in Michigan uh, to visit with him and go over some potential details. But he decided to uh, just, you know, turn them down and stay, you know, at the University of Michigan, which makes me think, you know, Michigan is going to pay him handsomely because you've pointed out in the past that he took a pay cut essentially to Mm -hmm. stay as the head coach of Michigan, but getting back to Sean Payton, the market seemed to have dried up on him. Uh, And then in the 11th and 12th hour, uh, the Walton family was like, you know what? Like damn the torpedoes. Like we're going to give you our first round draft pick that we got from the dolphins for the Bradley Chubb trade. Uh, in a second round pick this year and a third round pick next year just to get the contract right. So like now they gave the allocations. Yeah. So it was uh, a first rounder, a second rounder Mm -hmm. this year. And then the following year. So that's 2024. It's a third round pick, I believe. Wow. Plus that's a lot. That's a lot. mm -hmm. And they haven't even hammered out the contract yet. That's just to get the contract rights from new Orleans over to Denver. But like, you know, you sunk that much money into Russell Wilson. And, you know, on paper, that offense should have been top 10 in the league, right? Like you have Cortland yep. Sutton, you have Jerry Judy, who's going to be coming up on the end of his rookie contract pretty soon. Um, and, you know, Javante Williams should be back from his knee injury. Like this roster is good to go. And even on the defense after getting rid of Bradley Chubb, like that's still a top 10 defense. So if they can fix Russell Wilson, if Sean Payne's able to fix yeah. Russell Wilson, this will be worth the the uh, the fortune that they paid in gold, essentially just to negotiate with them. Well, I think it's one of those situations for the Broncos where they've already right they're down the rabbit hole now because they had to pay so much money to Russell Wilson that you can't now you got to invest more money to the team by bringing in a Sean Payton to somehow fix Russell Wilson. Right, um, that division is not getting easier. The the AFC winner is in your division, the Kansas City Chiefs. They're not going anywhere. Looks like the Los Angeles Chargers are loading up. They've got Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. We'll talk about that later on. The Raiders, I mean, they, as much as, you know, we bag on the Raiders, they're 
definitely a team you've got to, you know, keep an eye on because they've got so much talent. And who the hell knows, Tom Brady might end up in Las Vegas. So mm-hmm. this is one of those moves where the Raiders, uh, I'm sorry, the Broncos had to make just to somehow stay relevant in that division, even if it doesn't pan out. Even if even if it's a train wreck and they they're at the bottom of the league again, you've got to have some buzz around the head coaching uh, because coming off and telling Hackett, you've got to have a Sean Payne type of hire. You've got to get that fan base energized again. Like the Denver Bronco fan base was down and out for a while. I mean, those guys were some of the stuff you heard this year, whether it was on radio or through Mark Schlerth, who's a Denver Bronco, a former Denver Bronco, and he kind of reports on the tenor of the town. It seems like it was it was slim pickings and it was kind of down in the dumps in Denver. So hopefully those guys can turn around. You know, I, I I'm a fan of Russell Wilson, I'm a fan of Sean Payne. I think both of them um, are winners, and I think they corrected. It. It's just going to take some fine tuning, and I think you'll see a different Russell Wilson next year. I think under Sean Payne, like if if Sean Payne can't fix Russell Wilson, then then he's cashed. He's basically washed. He's he might as well go ahead and retire. But with what Sean Payne did with Drew Brees, who's basically, I mean, basically. He's basically the same thing as Russell Wilson, an undersized, you know, guy. Obviously, uh, Drew Brees was not as thick, uh, muscular as Russell Wilson is. Maybe Russell has Russell Wilson has a tad bit better arm, but regardless, both are you know short, limited quarterbacks um, that I think could work in the Sean Payne system. Yeah, exactly. And you know, if you think of like the parallels too, like Drew Brees was on the scrap heap. Like he had that bad older injury at the end of his tenure in, in the chargers. And like, they, they weren't sure if he was going to play again, just because of the, you know, how bad the injury was. And I don't think a lot of coaches wanted to put their career on, you know, whether or not this dude was going to be able to function as a quarterback anymore. And I think, you, you know, you're starting to see that with Russell Wilson and hell, I even said it at points last season of, you know, is, is Russell like really like the dude that we thought he was touted to be, or did like mm-hmm. Pete Carroll, you know, mask his issues by trying to run the ball like it was 1985. And then you would have the occasional moon ball to, you know, Tyler Lockett or, or a DK Metcalf, or, you know, even when Percy Harvin was there and he was like the Swiss army knife of that offense at times. So now it's going to be interesting to see, like, can Sean Payton recreate that magic? And honestly, I think he's, you know, he's going to have to, like you said, Jay, like it's a damn the torpedoes approach. And I, you know, I believe just reading some of the tea leaves, like, the Walton family did like, like D'Amico Ryan as a potential head coach and a couple, you know, yeah. uh, Gannon, I believe he's the defensive coordinator for the Eagles, but their experience was just so God awful with Nathaniel Hackett as a first year head coach. Like they did, they didn't want to go down that route. So that's why you saw like more Harbaugh buzz and more Dan Quinn buzz. And, you know, he turned his nose up and said, he's going back to Dallas. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, all in all, for what's that, what's on the line and what's at stake and for a new ownership group and you had fans literally counting down the play clock at times last year, like they had to make this move. Yeah, of course. And moving on to the other big hire, and we'll hit on this real quick. D'Amico Ryan ends up going back to Houston Texans. He's the head coach now going forward. Um, he was there with Brian Cushing, J.J. Watt. They had quite a bit of success on defense down there um, for a while. So he looks like he's going back home. It looks like uh, the Houston Texans targeted him as their next head coach. Now, for D'Amico Ryan's sake, like I feel bad for him because I, I truly believe the Houston Texans are – 
where careers go to die, <laughs> whether it's quarterback careers, uh, coaching careers. I just, I, I'm just sorry. Like, I just don't think that uh, that ownership group and that team in general uh, isn't built out of a winning formula. And I'm sorry. Like, I know, you know, he's probably going to go in there, probably take another quarterback and start again. And I think maybe the allure of him going to um, Houston was the fact that he'll take a rookie quarterback and he'll buy himself two or three years. He'll buy himself some time. Where if you're going to Denver, you've got to win now, right? So maybe that's one of the factors that D'Amico Ryans thought about when he was considering where he would go. Um, but I do feel bad for D'Amico because I'm sorry, like I don't see him winning that division anytime soon. The Jacksonville Jaguars are on the rise. The Tennessee Titans, as much as we crap on those guys and how they've kind of faltered, they're still a good football team led by a very good prominent head coach who's going to get things fixed and if they can figure out the 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 quarterback situation that's going to be a tough uh tough one as well and then the colts i mean they're they're dumpster fire at the moment but they also got some talent so who the hell knows but you know i i i don't see this being an easy fix for D'Amico. hopefully he's happy there because it's gonna be a long uphill battle and i'm happy that he's uh and i'm hoping that he's happy that he's home um and that's what he's gonna fall back on on some of those tough years coming up ahead of for him you know yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, one of the driving factors was, you know, essentially like it is a homecoming. Like he was a second round draft pick in 2006 uh, by the team. Uh, he was, I believe it was 2006 defensive rookie of the year as well, too. So like, you know, he wanted to come home, you know, and God bless him. Like, you know, hey, the Houston. All right. There are some pieces that they can build around, you know, with Damian Pierce and, you know, that defense did have some flashes last year mm -hmm. like they're actually like pretty decent against the run um but you know D'Amico Bryans I think you know he's gonna have a lot of potential buy-in from the players on that roster because they're gonna have a coach that actually played the position fairly recently as well too and the success he had you know with the San Francisco 49ers uh you know maybe not counting last week but that's a whole different story but <laughs> all in all like in totality I think you know, the, the McNair family, you know, has seen D'Amico Ryan as a player and clearly they mm -hmm. think it's going to translate as a head coach. And Jay, I just hope like his tenure lasts longer than, you know, David Culley and Lovey Smith. And I really, I want to see how like his relationship is going to work with like Nick Casario, because going mm -hmm. into this off season and towards the, the, the stretch last, you know, last, I guess this season, um, you know, the Casario hot seat was a little bit past like lukewarm. Like they, yep. there, it sounded like there was some rumblings coming out of Houston that, you know, Nick Casario might be on borrowed time, especially after like the Jack Easterby, you know, firing, I believe it was, you know, by week four or five last year. So it's going to be interesting to see, like, you see what happens. Um, I know before we recorded, uh, you know, uh, Ian Rappaport broke that the uh, Texans requested permission to interview passing game coordinator Bobby Slonick uh, from the 49ers as their mm -hmm. potential offensive coordinator. So, you know, there's a little bit of familiarity if they do get the, you know, permission granted and he interviews for the OC job, you know, now you have a, a Kyle Shanahan, you know, coaching tree disciple as well too with you and, you know, has an idea of what kind of offense you want to run. Uh, the pairing would make sense. And now it's just whether or not, you know, they're going to take uh you know, the Alabama quarterback or or your boy from Ohio State. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, so uh, what do you think they're going to do here? Do you think they – are they – obviously still too early for draft talk here, um, but do you think uh, – is there any indication of where Houston might go? Does Nick Casario – has he floated anything? 
Um, the general wisdom says that, you know, uh, conventional wisdom says that Bryce Harper, I'm sorry, Bryce Young is the, uh, is the, is the number one overall pick and you should go with him. But like CJ Stroud's also out there and you know me, I'm not high on either one of these quarterbacks. I would personally go with Will Levis. I think he is probably uh, the best suited for the NFL game. Um, but unfortunately his um, resume in college is not going to live up to CJ Stroud and, and Bryce Young's. But well, what do you think they do? Just a shot in the dark here. Do you think they, they go with Bryce Young or CJ? What's your thought process on that? Well, the team did like a, their own little mock draft. I saw this on Instagram the other day, and I mean, they their mock had you know Bryce Young going as as their their first pick, and you know I kind of lean that way just because of like the Casario, Bill Belichick connection, and which also means you probably have a little bit of a connection with Nick Saban by proxy. So yeah. maybe that's it. Um, but that's that's kind of where I lean at the moment. All right, sounds good, brother. All right, Puma. Well, the Super Bowl is set, sir. The Philadelphia Eagles are coming off of a win in the NFC Championship game against the San Francisco 49ers. 31-7 was the final score. And on the AFC side, we had the Cincinnati Bengals losing to the Kansas City referees. I'm sorry, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and they and the Chiefs had advanced to the Super Bowl. So it's a little early for uh, predictions. Uh, we'll do that next week. But, you know, give me a general preview of who you think is going to win this game. I'm going with the Birds. I'm going with the Eagles Say, here. I think, I think you know, their offensive line has been one of their strengths all season. Uh, Jalen Hurts, I think he's going to be able to run a little bit more, especially like having the week off. He's going to do that shoulder some good. Uh, but I'm excited to see, you know, what this uh, what this offense does with Nick Sirianni uh, at the helm as the head coach, uh, you know, possible coach of the year uh, candidate as well, too. Uh, but, you know, you look at the secondary and, you know, going back to the uh, the Kansas City screw job, I mean, the AFC championship <laughs> game, uh, you know, that the offense kind of changed for Cincinnati once T Higgins left with an injury, because then it looked like they were able to, they being the Kansas City Chiefs, were able to, you know, double-team Jamar Chase a little bit more. He had success in that bomb down the field, but after that he seemed to be a little bit limited in the production category, and it, it you know, kind of became checkdowns to, uh, you know, Samaje Pirine, uh, who outsnapped uh, Joe Mixon, by the way, but that was mostly just passing down work because they were playing from behind at points. But I think, you know, with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith uh, on the outside, Dallas Goddard is going to have his opportunities as well, too. I just I I, I like the, the Eagles uh, a bit more in this game compared to the Kansas City Chiefs, especially with, you know, Patrick Mahomes with the bum ankle. And I get it again. That's a week off. Uh, but I mean, he looked really hobbled mm -hmm. after he tried to scramble. Uh, on a bootleg to his left-hand side, and he threw the ball, and he came down pretty much putting all of his weight on his right leg, which was the problem. And ever since then, like, he was, you know, limited mobility-wise. He wasn't able to drive the ball down the field, and he was short-hopping the ball or overthrowing people. Uh, and I think that the Eagles defense, which led the league in overall sacks at, I believe, like 75, is going to be able to get home against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's just whether or not they're going to be able to contain Patrick Mahomes I think that's going to, you know, be the case a little bit more just because of the the bum ankle. And, you know, they could probably go back and look at the Super Bowl two, three years ago when the Buccaneers played the Kansas City Chiefs. And listen, we buried Todd Bowles as the head coach on this pod. But as a defensive coordinator in that Super Bowl, he drew up a magnificent game plan to limit Patrick Mahomes. And that was Mahomes with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, 
you know, the whole the whole band was together at that point. So I like the Eagles in this game. Uh, Jay, you you said you like the birds too. So I guess we're gonna be fly yeah. Eagles fly fans for the next two. Oh weeks. my god, Nick Sirianni, bro, <laughs> you are my guy. If you can beat the Giants for me in one postseason and the Chiefs, like for me, that would be like I will forgive you as a Patriots fan for beating us in a couple of years ago. I will become an Eagles fan. And truthfully, I, I'm gonna be real with you here. I don't have any cogent analysis as to why I'm picking the Eagles besides the fact that I just dis- despise Patrick Mahomes. Like, it's it's starting to get pretty bad for me. Like, it's uh, I gotta watch it. <laughs> I gotta watch it is what I'm trying to say. So, I'm the biggest Jalen Hurts fan for the next two weeks. Now, in regards to the X's and O's itself, we all know the Philadelphia Eagles have just, like, Hassan Reddick and, like, that front four, the, the ability to get pressure with, with just your four defensive linemen it's such a key in providing you an advantage in these big games. And we saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do it a couple of years ago where, where uh, Shaquille Barrett, um, JPP with his one hand, and Dominic and Sue, all these boys were providing pressure with just four. So then the, the back end of the defense, whether it's Devontae, Levante David or Devin White or all the cornerbacks, um, are much are, there's more people back there to guard you know the the receivers so I, I think it's gonna be interesting um, obviously the Kansas City offensive line is is playing out of its mind right now uh, one of the main differences in the AFC Championship game was the fact that Joe Burrow was getting sacked a lot in the first half and for the most part uh, Patrick Mahomes was untouched he had like what maybe one sack or a few pressures um, for the most part that offensive line has done a really really good job now if if somehow the Kansas City Chiefs are able to rig the Super Bowl as well as they did the AFC Championship game, then obviously the, the Eagles have no chance. The Eagles are not going to be able to beat the Chiefs and the refs at the same time. So, you know, we'll, we'll hit on the, the bad officiating in a second here. But, you know, what what are some of the key matchups you're trying to watch? Because obviously whenever we talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, Travis Kelsey and how to stop him is key, right? So is there anybody on the Eagles defense that you believe can go toe-to-toe? Um, is there going to be any certain game plan that they're going to you know, devise? Because I say this every single week, and every single week, for some reason, Travis Kelsey runs wide-ass open down the field. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Jay, like, is it good? Like, is it beyond the realm of possibility that they put Darius Slay on Travis Kelsey and, like, you know, and maybe, you know, they bracket, you know, obviously they're going to have to bracket him. And, you know, you know, who knows what the situation is with Marquez about the scantling. He was in and out of the game uh, last week. Uh, you know, Juju Smith Schuster, I think he, he played like the first quarter, first half, uh, but then he was out with, uh, with a shoulder injury. So it was like, you know, it, the walking wounded for Kansas City. Like they were down to three tight end sets for the most, most of the second half because there wasn't a pass catcher out there. I mean, I said it last week, you know, we're always going to say, like, you're going to have to bracket Travis Kelsey and make somebody else beat you, you know, over the top. And whether or not that's going to be MVS or Juju or Sky Moore, uh, you know, Sky Moore might have to step up just because of the potential injury concerns that some of these players may have going into the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, logic would say like Darius Slay and maybe like some other cornerback on Travis Kelsey and make somebody else beat you with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that 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 yeah. you know, that's the best corner. We saw how desperate they were last week where they were lining Travis Kelsey out wide. And, you know, going into that AFC championship game, Kelsey wasn't fully a go potentially because of his back. So, you know, who knows? I, I expect to see more weird formations like that where you have Travis Kelsey line up wide, which to me would say Darius Slay is going to go with 
with with Travis Kelsey. I would force I would force him to run the football. I would force mm-hmm. the Chiefs to run the football because they ran for 35, 36 yards, something minuscule against the Bengals. And, and I still find it astounding that they can run the ball that little and still win and get to the Super Bowl. So I, I would I would do whatever I can to drop I mean you can't drop more than what is it? Eight, right? Mm-hmm. Uh no, nah, even that's too much. You can't have three defensive linemen rushing. I mean, I would I would do whatever I could to drop seven, eight, and try to force the ball to into Isaiah Pacheco's hands. Now that guy run runs hard, so uh, I, you know that might be. Uh, but but then again, like I'd rather have Patrick Mahomes. I'm sorry, I'd rather have Isaiah Pacheco running the ball than Patrick Mahomes throwing it. So, mm-hmm. you know, in that regards, that's that's where that's gonna lie. But I really want to hit on the the bad officiating we saw in the AFC Championship game, Puma. <laughs> I, I, you know, for the longest time, let me, let me get this out of the way first. You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy. I don't believe the NFL is rigged. But watching the Bengals versus Chiefs game on Sunday night was one of the most infuriating games I've ever seen. I haven't been that mad in a non-Patriots game in a long time. And I think I'm really mad because Puma, I think for the first time in my life, I had to confront the fact that maybe the NFL is rigged. I mean, that's how bad it was. And a lot of people are saying that it's just the officiating was bad that game. The problem is it was bad for one team and one team seems to get all the breaks, right? Uh, we talk about the the big, you know, obviously Osai, you know, pushed uh, Patrick Mahomes on the way out. So that's a, that's a rough in the passer. And I get that. That's a fine call. But I've never, ever seen a team get five downs <laughs> ever in my in my years of watching football. I've never seen a team get five downs. On top of that, there were so many missed calls on the on the Bengals side, right? I mean, uh, Frank Clark took three steps and you know ran to Joe Burrow late, and that should have been a rough in the passer. Uh, on the punt, the last punt uh, to set up that field goal, uh, there's a block in the back that was missed. Um, on the actual call where. Uh, Patrick Holmes was uh, pushed out of bounds, and the rough and the passer came. There was there was holding on the on the on the uh, defensive uh, line, for, on the offensive line. So that should have been offsetting penalties. So I I haven't been this angry in a long time, and I, I think the NFL. Listen, I I think they truly believe any press is good press, so they're probably just loving this. The fact that people like me are losing their minds about how bad the officiating was, but. The NFL needs to understand that the integrity of your game is at risk here with some of the BS calls we saw uh, on Sunday night in the AFC Championship game. And that's something that I don't know if they care about, right? If they don't fix it now, they never will. Mm -hmm. No, and Jay, you know, at one point we were talking during the game and, you know, I I said "This this is something like Vince McMahon would be proud of at like the WWE. I mean, I, I'm not even calling it the, uh, you know, the AFC championship game anymore. It's just the, the, the Kansas city screw job. I mean, mm-hmm. it was the Bengals versus the Kansas city chiefs and the refs. And, you know, the, even like, you know, the, the NFL referee fellow that was in the booth, I can't remember his name, the one with the, the friggin' index card that was trying to determine whether or not it was a first down when he was uh, the, uh, the head referee for, for a while, um, I, I, he couldn't even really explain it. And it's just like, you know, you're giving this team an extra down and I would have been Jay, I would have turned the TV off if after the extra down and then Eli Apple being a moron, mm-hmm. you know, the next play, if, if Mahomes threw for like 75 yard bomb for a touchdown, I would have turned the TV off because that was, that was idiotic. Like there's, you're telling me in the day and age where you have, 
the sky judge up there and they see like a referee running on to the, you know, off the sidelines saying, Hey, stop the play. The play clock's not running. Like nobody's going in Tolbert's ear saying, Hey, like blow the play dead. Like we can't do this right now. Like yeah. you let the play happen. You know, Zach Taylor looked like he was ready to have some nitro pills on his, <laughs> on the sideline because he's about to go into a coronary. It was just, it was just God awful. Um, you know, and I'm saying this as a guy that normally says, you know, if you don't want to have the referees make a decision that cause yeah. the outcome of the game, don't put yourself in a, in a position to have the referees do that. Um, but I mean, the in this instance, like the Bengals really couldn't. Th- th- if they did nothing, they still weren't going to get flagged. You know what I mean? Like it was just it just seemed kind of predetermined yeah. that the Bengals were going to be getting the majority of the yellow laundry on the field. And yeah, now uh, in the day and age with the sports betting, though, Jay, yeah, like you see this all the time now where you'll have like, let's say like prop bets, right? Like let's say Joe Burrow got hurt on the first drive of the game. You know, most sports book nowadays, and this is from like a customer service aspect of things, like that, you know, players on those books now expect, you know, sports books to void out the plays because their guy didn't compete, wasn't able to compete. But yeah. like, what if this like gets worse, right? Like let's say the NFL doesn't nip it in the bud and you have all these sports books out there now like now you're going to have fans questioning the integrity of the game. Like you said, like, are they going to start demanding voided bets if they think like the fix was in or if enough people chirp on Twitter and go like at DraftKings customer service or at FanDuel Sportsbook, like this outcome was bullshit. Like the, the refereeing was that God awful. Like, you know, it's not beyond the realm that enough people could cause enough noise to try to try to get their bets voided. And that's going to be a bad look for the NFL that's now trying to get that as additional revenue as part of the CBA. Yeah. And like, like, I don't think the NFL understands just how like detrimental the, the conversation is after that game. Like for for 18 hours, NFL rig was being uh, trending on Twitter. Like that that's a bad look. Like that is no matter which way you cut it, that's a bad look. When the integrity of the NFL games are being called into question, I think you've lost a battle at that point. I really do because there's there's one thing, like I said, to be to have bad officiating, but it's another thing what we saw on the AFC Championship game. That that was. That, like I, I still I still don't understand how a, a corporation that makes fifteen billion dollars a year can't seem to fix this. And I, I always come back to the point that they don't want to fix it. They don't mm-hmm. because any press is good press, but now we're walking into a territory where the integrity of your game is being questioned by by not just conspiracy theorists, not just people that always say this, but by people like me and you who watch the NFL for the integrity of the game, who believe what we're watching is a product that has no predetermined outcome, who understands the reason why the NFL is different than the NBA and WWE is because no matter what happens on that football field, it's going to be a fair and just outcome. But now that you're questioning it by people like us, I, I think that's a slippery slope. For the first time in my life, I walked away from an AFC Championship game, not sad that the NFL season is almost over, but almost looking forward to the fact that I don't got to deal with this crap product in the NFL for months. Because mm-hmm. in my mind, the Super Bowl is a completely different animal. The last real true NFL football Sunday is the AFC NFC Championship game. The Super Bowl, yeah, it's a game that we'll all watch, but it's more a marketing blitz than anything else. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. You know, I'll do you one better, Jay. Like the, the lay, like the casual fan 
is chirping, being like, mm-hmm. man, some of them calls. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people are talking to me after the game, like people in the office that mm-hmm. really haven't watched a lick of football. Yeah. They're saying, yeah. like, you know, Brandon, like you talk about this all the time. Like, what did you see? And it's like, I saw exactly what you saw. Like mm-hmm. the rep, the the yellow flags, the laundry was particularly tilted against the the opposing team. And you know, Carl Sheffers is going to be the NFL lead lead uh, referee in the Super Bowl. I'm, you know, I would like yeah. to say like they're going to get their their act together, but like at the same time, Jay, like let's let's kind of you know look down the road, like. How do you think the NFL fixes this? Because he can't even like the referees don't even do well, interviews after the game. It's with the pool reporter. So well, like, well, a sky judge, right? I thought that was the the hot new thing. We thought that was gonna fix it, but uh, <laughs> there was nowhere to be seen. And from what I understand, Albert Bree reported, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, that it's been kind of in the background. But the sky judge like concept has kind of taken off with the league office, and there's more sky judges in play than we actually would know. Then my question is, and how the hell was it so bad? If that was in response, the Sky Judge was in response to f- uh, fixing the bad officiating, and we got that product on Sunday night, the, oh my God, like you're in a big trouble because mm-hmm. that tells me you're trying to fix the issue and you can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you have referees on the, in the NFL right now, like uh, Jerome Boger, who is the uh, NFL version of Angel Hernandez in Major League Baseball, who was just god awful. Like some of these people, you know, these referee crews really, quite frankly, don't even have business doing like division like 2A for the NCAA. You know, like I, I don't know how they're, they're still employed. Um, I understand there's like a, a CBA, essentially a CBA agreement with the union of referees. And that was a big issue a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with the fail Mary in, in Seattle. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back that brought the referees back to the bargaining table. Uh, but I mean, I don't, I don't know how you fix it because it's not like their, their collective bargaining agreements going up anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So now like whatever resolution you do now is under the CBA and you, you're going to have to negotiate with their, their union officials. So like, I, I don't know how they fix it, but like for all parties involved and you'd like to, you would assume, right. That like the end the, uh, referees are getting a piece of the sports betting pie, for revenue sharing, like the players are with the owners, the, with the owners, like you would have to fix this. Mm-hmm. It's as if, you know, Patrick Mahomes isn't already the the luckiest quarterback in NFL history, in my opinion. The guy. Oh, Tony and, Romo, I'll tell you. Oh, my God. Uh, Tony Romo, we'll get to him in a second. He was abysmal. But in my opinion, and please don't take this the wrong way. I mean, this is something that it's a take that I'll get out there and I'm sure I'll get pushback for it. But, you know. Patrick Holmes is a good quarterback. I'm not saying that, but he also is the luckiest quarterback in NFL history. To go, we, we unlike Joe Burrow, who was was good wherever he went, whether it was high school, LSU, wherever. Patrick Holmes wasn't the greatest quarterback at, at Texas Tech. He wasn't recruited highly coming out of high school. He didn't go to Alabama or got offers at LSU. He had to go to Texas Tech because nobody else was taking him. And yes, he had splashes of great games at Texas Tech, but he also had horrible games as well. And to get lucky to walk into a system where the Kansas City Chiefs win 11, 12 games on average with Alex Smith, with the best wide receiver in this generation in Tyreek Hill, and the best tight end in this generation, or second best to Gronk in this generation, and the best offensive genius in this generation in Andy Reid. You have all that luck going for you, and now you've got the refs in your pocket as well. 
Like, who's going to win? How how, are we, how is the rest of the NFL going to compete, Puma? How? Like, if you are already so lucky to be in that system, because I truly believe if you stick Patrick Mahomes in Jacksonville or Cincinnati, you won't hear the guy the way you hear about him now. Like, it would be completely different. Like, what Joe Burrow had to do taking a 2-14 and 14 team and stealing a culture of winning to the Super Bowl it is some, something remarkable. What Trevor Lawrence is doing, uh, taking a, a, a just a god-awful roster, in my opinion, maybe a couple of nice pieces here and there, but a a, 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 a franchise in Jacksonville that's been habitually, you know, uh, correspondent with losing and taking it to the playoffs is something magical. Like, what, what Patrick Mahomes is doing, yes, is good, it's great, but he's also so lucky to be in that situation with the perfect situation. And now the refs are going to sprinkle some fairy dust on him any single time. <laughs> Any single time, <laughs> any single time there's a questionable call, here comes a Patrick Mahomes fairy dust. Yeah, no, or you know, Andy Reid calls the Vince McMahon hotline and says, oh, Hey, man. like, I need a free 15 yards. And Vince calls up on the phone, is like, Carl Sheffers, if you don't give them a rub of the passer, you're I've never ever in my life seen a team get five down like do we understand that like it's one thing to i've seen obviously penalties come out and flags come out and you gotta redo it down right i've never seen a play stopped and said let's redo it like the 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 the, the punting team was on the field and the ref said no no get the punting team off we're gonna give you another down Furious. Oh my god, at this point, we'll see anything. <laughs> oh, Alright, Puma, you ready to talk some Los Angeles Chargers? Let's do it. I know it's a team that's near and dear to your heart, Shane. It was near and dear to my heart, but I'm a little bit out on Justin Herbert at the moment. I, I think him collapsing in uh, in Jacksonville, being up 27-0 is something I'm going to have a hard time overlooking. And you know me, Puma, I'm all about the interest of being fair and my critique and criticism. So, mm-hmm. um, so, but the Los Angeles Chargers today hired a new offensive coordinator. They hired Kellen Moore, the former Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator, as the next guy to help lead their offense and hopefully develop Justin Herbert. Um, now, Kellen Moore has spent about four years with the Cowboys as OC. And in those four years, he was second in total offense, second in yards per game, third in points per game, third in t- total first downs and fourth and third down percentage. So he he seems to be one of those guys, Puma, that's a brilliant young mind. Uh, looks like he knows how to mold offenses. Um, now, the one thing with the Dallas Cowboys is, let's be real and let's call it 100 here. Kellen Moore was not the problem there. Kellen Moore was the scapegoat. Uh, at the end of the day, it looks like Jerry made the decision to keep Mike McCarthy. And obviously, you cannot fire the franchise quarterback that makes upwards of $40 million a year. So the scapegoat was Kellen Moore. Now, the Chargers were in prime position uh, to take advantage of just some dysfunctional, like, idiotic moves by the Cowboys because, like, they should have kept Kellen Moore. They should have kept Kellen Moore and ride it out with him for another year and see how that goes. So I'm really excited for the Chargers. I think Justin Herbert needs this kind of offensive mind in the building because Brandon Staley's forte was defense. He wasn't able to provide that, um, you know, that offensive ingenuity that Justin Herbert would demand. So what's your thoughts on the move? Do you think this makes the Chargers a formidable team? I know this year they fell well short of expectation. There were some Super Bowl picks. Um, They had high expectations. So we'll just put them back into that Super Bowl picture. 
I think so for everything that you just said, like the, you know, top, you know, top five and, you know, yards uh, per game, top five in points scored. Like he is going to be an offensive coordinator that's going to put points on the board. And look at that, Jay, you have an offensive coordinator that isn't afraid to push the ball down the field with a quarterback who has a howitzer of a, of a right arm. Uh, you know, Joe Lombardi likes to dink and dunk underneath and, you know, try to establish the run a little bit uh, from time to time, depending on what the game script was. But, I mean, Austin Eckler, you know, benefited a lot from a Joe Lombardi Lombardi offense just because everything was underneath the check downs. Uh, and, you know, whenever they tried to push the ball down the field, I, I, I don't know what would – like if the stars would align just right, but, you know, next thing you know, like Mike Williams or Keenan Allen is coming up hurt. But I think, you know, Kellen Moore is going to be able to – push the ball down the field more consistent with his young franchise quarterback. And he's going to be able to scheme these guys in a way where, you know, they're might, they're not going to be riding out of the stadium on a, on a gurney with, uh, with an ambulance. So I'm, I'm excited for this. And I think, you know, for Justin Herbert's sake, you know, we're coming up towards the end of, again, like a rookie contract. So he's going to want to get paid his and the Spanos as a, as a whole during their tenure as ownership of the chargers is not one to really try to reset the market at any position on the football field. Just ask Joey Bosa that because mm-hmm. those were contentious negotiations from time to time in the off season uh, last year. Uh, so, you know, he's going to want to get paid and Kellen Moore is going to be the guy that's going to be driving the Brinks truck for him all the way to the bank to pick up his money. Uh, so I'm excited for this offense. And honestly, Jay, we talked about this earlier with the Sean Payton hire in the AFC West, you're going to need to have people that's going mm-hmm. to open up the offense and keep up with the Joneses and have the arms race, you know, on the table. So this is a great move. Um, I'm with you. Mike McCarthy was the problem in Dallas and still is, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I don't but, even think know, it's Mike McCarthy. I think it's Dak Prescott. Well, it's Dak, but well, it's, you know, it's it's here. It is. It's it's Jerry Jones. It's mm-hmm. Dak Prescott. It's mm-hmm. Mike McCarthy. Yeah. And you know, yeah. the problem is is Jerry Jones is like the Ted Turner of, of the NFL. When Ted Turner owned the, the, the Atlanta Braves, he at one point I think was also the manager of the Atlanta Braves. So that's yeah. what happens when you got Jerry, you know, Jerry, Jerry Jones. Jerry. <laughs> Here comes the impersonation. You know, you know, you know Kellen Moore, I, I, know, I know you've been with us for about four years now, and um, we really liked what you did on the offensive side of the football with, uh, with CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup. And, you know, I'm not going to take blame for getting rid of uh, Dak Prescott's number one wide receiver and Amari Cooper, um, but you're clearly the problem. Uh, so we're going to stick with uh, Bozo, Mike McCarthy, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get another Nickelodeon football game with Mike McCarthy <laughs> on there. And, uh, you know, best of luck with your future endeavors. Yeah, yeah, always a classic. Now, let's talk about the Chargers and Justin Herbert here for a second. I mean, I, you know, obviously, Cullen Moore is all, all well and nice and dandy in it. It's a great hire for those guys. But, you know, I think, I think Justin Herbert's coming to that point where he's going to start producing. Like, we're three years in now, all the promise in the world. Um, the guy has all the physical skill sets you can ask for. If you were to design a quarterback in a lab, you would make Justin Herbert. Seriously, like the, how big he is, how tall he is, the, the cannon of an arm, the IQ. But there's something missing with the kid, and that's the intangibles. I talk about it all the time with the, with the quarterback. The intangibles are more than 50% of the makeup and what makes a successful quarterback in the NFL. But I, I hope for, for his sake, Kellen Moore is going to be able to provide him with some 
confidence in the offense to come through in those clutch moments because that's truly what it is. When you have confidence in the offense and the offensive coordinator, that's when you can be your best. Now, the one concern I do have here is this is going to be Justin Herbert's third offensive coordinator in four years, right? Anthony Lynn Mm -hmm. and his regime, Joe Lombardi and his two years, right? One or two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So this is third year for Herbert and this is going to be his fourth year with Kellen Moore. So, I, I think that's a little bit of a concern. He's a smart kid. He's a bright kid. You know, he's a 4.0 college major, so he'll pick it up quickly. Uh, the problem is usually when you have that many offensive coordinators in such a short time, it, it wreaks havoc on young quarterbacks. I, I saw an offensive coordinator years ago say, year one of a new system is when you learn the system. Year two is when you feel comfortable enough to start making adjustments to the line and you start being more emboldened in the system. Year three is when you become a master at it. And I, I think hopefully that's not the timeline that Justin Herbert needs to become a master in this offense because where the Chiefs, I'm sorry, where the Chargers are in that in that division, he's gonna have to master this quickly and be proficient at it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just look at Alex Smith's first, you know, handful of years in the NFL. Yeah, mm-hmm. literally, he had an offensive coordinator for mm-hmm. every year he was in there until Jim Harbaugh took over. So yep. you know, you're spot on. Um, I think. You know, they're going to have to make this work with Kellen Moore, uh, clearly. But I, I think, you know, I think it's going to pan out for for both for all parties involved. And I, I think this will be able to pick it up on the field pretty quickly, especially for a dude that can push the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Okay. All right, Puma, we've got the last uh, segment we're going to hit on the podcast today. We've got the... We've got some Miami Dolphins talk. It's a team that is near and dear to your heart. You're wearing it right now on your on your uh, hat. So let's talk some Miami Dolphins. The first one, let's, the first topic we're talking about is a report came out over the weekend from Adam Schefter saying that the Miami Dolphins are sticking with Tua. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, fine by me. I think it is the right move. You know, a lot of people were saying, oh, Tom Brady's touring a private school in Miami. So maybe he's going to be the Dolphins next, you know, uh, you know, quarterback. Um, here's the thing. One, him and Giselle, uh, actually Giselle lives in, in the, the Miami area. So, you know, maybe they're looking at private schools for their kids. You know, I, I get it. Like they split. But at the end of the day, like he's going to want to know what school this, you know, his kids are going to. And two, just with how bad the optics were from the 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 tampering case that the Dolphins were involved in last offseason. I, I don't think really the, the Dolphins and uh, Stephen Ross really want to go back to to that hellscape that was trying to get Tom Brady to be the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. And honestly, Jay, you know, I, I think we've seen enough evidence at this point in the season that, you know, when Tua, Tua is on the field, like he is, you know, a, a dynamic enough quarterback to get this offense going. And he fits the Mike McDaniel offense, you know, perfectly fine uh, with, you know, Waddle and Tyree Kill. But it's just going to come down to, you know, the health of Tua Tagovailoa and, you know, we're getting up to <clears throat> the end of his rookie contract. And there's a lot of questions on the table of, are they going to do a long-term extension? Are they going to pick up the fifth year option? And quite frankly, if they don't pick up the fifth year option, like the Giants did with Daniel Jones this season, I'm not going to blink an eye because of, you know, the concussions that he's had this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if they don't pick up the fifth year option, they make Tua essentially prove it like Daniel Jones had to do this year, they could franchise tag him. And right now the franchise tag for quarterback is a, sh- a tick under $34 million. 
So, like, let's say he does have a good year. He plays the whole season uh, and it comes contract time. You know, they could just franchise tag him, hash out a long-term deal. And if there isn't a long-term deal settled, they can just go the Washington commanders or commies or football team, whatever you want to call them, and the Kirk Cousins route. Just keep franchise tagging them for, you know, three years in a row until the tag gets too much. And, and then you just let them walk in free agency. But for all intents and purposes, like Mike McDaniel seems happy with having Tua Tagovailoa as his quarterback for this offense. And Tua, for the first time in his pro career this season, I can look and say, as the Tua hater going into Tua getting drafted by the Dolphins in fifth overall, you know, I am seeing the dude that played at Alabama. It's just mm-hmm. whether or not he's going to be healthy enough to, to play all 18, 18 weeks. Well, Puma, you know, I've been um, I've been a big fan of uh, of Tua just because I think the kid never had a fair shot, especially with Brian Flores and just how how nasty Brian Flores was to Tua. Um, but I do believe if this report is correct, I think this is a big mistake by the Dolphins. I really do. I this isn't me talking about Tua's physical skills because I think physically he can play in this in this league. He's accurate enough, his arm is strong enough, he plays with enough anticipation and confidence in that system that he can get the ball out in a quick time. My problem is he's not healthy. Simply put, Puma, like you know this game is is gonna beat up smaller quarterbacks. And I think now, it, for me, the, the turning point was his last concussion, Puma. It, it's not a, a blown-out ACL or torn hip like he had back in Alabama or, you know, whatever litany of, like, bad injuries he's had. This dude literally just fell backwards and got a concussion. That Packers concussion that he, that he gained, that, that happened, like, it was a routine play. It's a play that happens nine different times in an NFL game to a quarterback. So if you're going to get a concussion on that play, then I think we've got to start looking at the fact that he's just brittle and he's not going to be able to make in this league. You feel me? Like, does that make sense? Because that, that play really did change a lot for me. Yeah, I see your point. I mean, you know, Josh Johnson got tackled a little bit harder against the Eagles, and that's what knocked him out of the game. And, and Stafford had the same deal. Like, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, how you fall is going to dictate whether or not yeah. you get the concussion or not. So, like, you know, they have, you know, wrestling schools. Essentially, they teach you how to fall. Like, I, I'm not saying you're going to bring Triple H into Miami <laughs> Gardens to teach people how to take a bump. But, you know, there are moments where Tua is going to have to learn to protect himself. And, like, yeah. it's going to it's gonna come down to Tua, whether or not he's going to throw the ball away, live to fight another day. Uh, let's try not to barrel people over as if you're built, you know, another five inches with mm-hmm. muscle. Uh, it's going to come down to Tua taking care of himself. And going into the draft a couple of years ago, I said that point blank. It's like whenever Tua would run with the football, he would more more than likely come up in a heap. And we're starting to we starting to see that now. Uh, personally, I'm in the camp of maybe you should not have him play behind an offensive line where Austin Jackson is, you know, drafted to be the blindside guy. For for Tua Tagovailoa and my nickname for Austin Jackson is the Human Burn Style, so yeah. should shore up the offensive line a little bit. But no, like you have a you have a point. I get it, uh, yeah. but it's going to come down to whether or not Tua is willing to protect himself. Well, let's play fantasy land here for a second. Let's pretend that the Miami Dolphins are out on Tua this off season. 
what happens then? Are out on Tua? Yeah, no. let's say let's say the, let's say Fantasyland. Let's say that report was just smoke. Let's say they're out on Tua Tagovailoa. What are you gonna do this offseason? <laughs> right. Uh, right. Wait Jimmy, for Derek. Wait for Derek Carr to get released, and then they can sign him for pennies on the dollar. Why don't you go, uh, they, you go with Jimmy Garoppolo over Derek Carr? He ran that system with Mike McDaniel's in San Francisco. He did, but like the Dolphins have like really no draft capital in the first couple of rounds because of the uh, the tampering situation. But yeah, like if, you know, if they had assets that they could move for Jimmy Garoppolo, and Jimmy wants to work on his tan in South Beach. Sure. But now we're back to the same question of, okay, well now we have Mr. Glass 1.0, like behind an offensive line that's worse than what was in San Francisco. So now what's he going to do? Like, is Jimmy Garoppolo going to play all 18 weeks? Like, (laughs) No, no. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get some sort of SUD in Miami. Maybe. (laughs) He'll get some good mojitos though. Oh, okay. Uh, another positive news story that came out over the weekend for the Miami Dolphins. Your boys finally got a decent defensive coordinator. Vic Fangio is your need DC. I know you're loving that move. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. And uh, I, I can't wait to see what's going to happen with this defense and how it's going to get revamped. And a lot of Fangio stuff is predicated on, you know, secondary play with the cornerbacks and whatnot. So, you know, whether or not we're going to move off of, Xavier Howard uh, because of the contract situation or, you know, we're going to get young and get, you know, some people in the draft or maybe get some guys in free agency. But either way, I fully expect this secondary for the Miami Dolphins to make a massive improvement over what they were this year. And quite frankly, it's not going to be that hard of a proposition because they, they were, they, they were God awful at times. And, I, and they were the bottom of the league in turnovers uh, or generating turnovers. But, you know, you have Vic Fangio with, you know, Bradley Chubb, who he's, you know, he's had history with back from the Bronco days and, you know, Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips. Like, I'm I'm excited to see what this pass rush looks like. But specifically, I can't wait to see what the secondary does. This is a big get for an, a defense that could potentially be on the uh, the up and coming. And let's be honest, Jay, we talked about it last week. The AFC East is wide open. Uh, wide wow, ass open. You know, it's, you know, bills are the field and the both of us are taking the field. So, you know, anything is possible at this point. So give me give me Vic Fangio with his boy, Mike McDaniel. I, I, I can't wait. I'm excited. You want to hear something crazy? Yes. Patriots win the AFCs next year. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, with Bill the Clown back. And Let's go. <laughs> nah. Hey, you know. I it's... wish. I wish. Hey, crazy things have happened. Yes, sir. Um, okay, well, that about wraps it up. Do you have any best bets this week, or what's the deal? You're uh, no, I don't have anything in on the Super Bowl just yet. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, depending on what book you're looking at, I think both FanDuel and DraftKings have Eagles minus, you know, one and a half. Um, at one point, it was two and a half. It looked like it was going to go to three. But I think sports books know, like, if it gets to three, the, the Chiefs are just going to get bet like madhouse, like a madhouse. And it's just going to get knocked back down to two and a half or one, one and a half. But I mean, if you wanted to look at something, maybe the over under, which I think has been kind of hanging out at 46, like I kind of like the under, um, but I don't, I don't have any action on the NFL right now. And um, you know, the pro bowls this weekend. And oh, even, if, even if it meant something, I would not bet anything on the pro bowl, even if it was free money. So, 
That's such no. a bad product. That that product needs to go away. Yes, it does. Yeah. Actually, the over-under is 49 and a half in the Super Bowl. I, I would still look at the under. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if it ends 27-24, yeah, that's going to be tricky. That's going to be real on the line, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, 49, that's like that's like 24-20 kind of deal. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Like 25-22 kind of deal. I, I don't know if that's... I don't know. That's the fun of uh, NFL football. We'll see what happens. All right, Puma. That's about that's about all I got today, man. You want to wrap it up and call it a day? Yes, sir. So this episode of the Pro Football Radio Podcast can be found on this lovely space known as YouTube, uh, also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts at uh, at Pro Football Radio Podcast. Social media wise, Facebook, Instagram, Pro Football Radio Podcast, the Twitter machine at pfr podcast i'm on twitter brando underscore puma jay chima the captain of the ship on the ones and the twos is at jay chima like subscribe download dms are open on all social media platforms be sure to hit us up be sure to hit the little bell button on the youtube page uh to get notified when the video is being dropped or in this case it's going to be going up live on youtube or be sure to subscribe to the channel so if you missed out on the liveness maybe you're suffering at work and you can't do anything be sure to check us out on your way home. Uh, hit the, you know, subscribe to the channel. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week with the Super Bowl preview. Let's go. See you guys next week. Via Condios.